Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and newsletter, and the founder and CEO of the Accelerant Agency. So no, my name's Jordan Wilson, um, founder and host of Everyday AI. It's an AI media company, but we're a daily podcast, live stream, newsletter, uh, creating courses, community, all of that stuff. So yeah, uh, we've been doing that for about nine months now, doing it every single day, uh, just educating technically now hundreds of thousands of people on generative AI. Uh, so I have that, but I also have my own uh, digital strategy company called Accelerant Agency that I've been running now for about five years. That's kind of at least who I am today. You know, I'm a, I'm a MarTech background uh, geek who just gen AIs all day, every day. Awesome. And I know you have a, a really interesting background. Before you got to where you are now, uh, you know, journalists are so important to our society. And so take us back, you know, take us back to college or high school and, and talk, talk to us about your journey, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. I can go back. I can go back a while. So yeah, even before I was a journalist, I was delivering the news, right? So I, I started as a paper boy when I was like, you know, 12, uh, you know, and then I, you know, worked some random, uh, you know, little part-time jobs when I was in high school. I started working, you know, pretty young, you know, 14, I think I was 14 years old. Um, and then actually what happened is me and my brother both worked at Culver's, right? I love Culver's, by the way. Uh, you know, some of the best fast food ever. So anyways, I was reading the newspaper during my break at Culver's and I saw this, you know, ad in the newspaper for a job writing for the newspaper. You know, my hometown paper called the Freeport Journal Standard. So uh, I applied for the job, didn't get it, but I did get a call back from them a couple of weeks later. And they're like, hey, you know, we have a different job. Do you want it? I said, sure. So I went and took it. So instead of writing, the job application was essentially being a freelance writer for the newspaper covering sports. So instead, I got to help, you know, design the, the the newspaper, put together the sports stats, et cetera. And come to find out, which I didn't know, um, it was maybe my first week there and the editor goes, hey, like, do you have a brother? And I'm like, yeah, why? And he's like, oh, I think we hired your brother for the job that you applied for. And I'm like, oh, what? So my brother didn't tell me and, you know, he, he wasn't living, you know, we weren't living in the same house at the same time because he was, you know, 19 or 20. Um, so it became this very competitive thing for me. So I, I just really wanted to become a better writer because, you know, I was always competitive with my brother. And even though, you know, I, I, I was working at the newspaper, I wanted to write, you know, I wanted to have my name in the newspaper. So that's actually how the whole, you know, journalism thing started is just by being an overly competitive, uh, younger brother. And, and that just grew, um, you, you know, my love of writing and exploring and ultimately asking questions, which I think what's, you know, probably led to, you know, me wanting to do a daily podcast is I'm, I'm just naturally curious. I like to learn new things and I like to simplify things as well. Wow. And I was a photojournalist for my high school newspaper. Uh, and I, I think I might have written some articles when I was younger as well. Um, so I can appreciate that. Right. So um, and so did you. So so then after that, did you just stay working there? Or did you go to college or? Yeah, so I worked. I worked at that newspaper for started my junior year, uh, I think, of high school. So I worked there for about two and a half years, um, and then I went to college. I worked at the uh, the daily. You know, it was a daily newspaper at the college I went to, um, and so it just that was just kind of my my transition, right? Because uh, before I even started working in the newspaper, I really didn't even know what I wanted to do. To tell you the truth, I wasn't even necessarily thinking seriously about college, at least in you know my small hometown. It's not something you know, where every kind of kid goes to college. So uh, that actually, you know, you know, was really great for me. And it really just kind of paved my future, um, you know, being able to to learn how to write. And, you know, people said, hey, you're a good writer, you should do this in, in school. And so that's kind of, you know, paved my way for through both, um, you know, undergraduate and graduate school, just being involved in, in journalism and, you know, public affairs reporting, uh, etc. So yeah, that's, that's what kind of uh, transitioned me to my early professional career. Got it. And then, so when you graduated college, you were at a newspaper for a bunch of years or how did that work? No. Yeah. It's funny. I kind of retired from journalism at like age 23, um, you know, cause I started, yeah, I started when I was like 16 or 17. So I, I was literally working for a daily newspaper 
I think that entire time. So for like seven or eight years, right? So most recently, um, you know, it's like a year long program at the Chicago Sun Times as part of my grad school. Um, so I kind of just stopped after that, you know, I kept writing freelance, but you know, at age 23, I was kind of, um, not disheartened, but I was always, I like, I feel, uh, um, just frustrated with, with just the, the industry in general, right? I was always pushing like, oh, let's do this for the web or, you know, let's, let's do video, let's do audio slideshows. Like I feel I was always pushing uh, to do new things because at the time, you know, you know, kind of, if, I wouldn't call it like web 2.0, but I would say information on the web in the, you know, early mid two thousands, it was a new thing and no one knew how to deal with it. And I was, I feel I was always pushing very hard and I just feel I always got pushed back. So uh, at that point I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to stop this like daily newspaper thing and kind of reassess and see how I can use these same skills um, and still make an impact maybe in a different industry. Got it. And so you went to the MarTech, the advertising or the marketing firm, or what was that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. So it was actually a nonprofit. Um, so I started, you know, doing marketing for a nonprofit, but we, in, in essence, we became a marketing and activation agency for Nike and Jordan brand. So I did work at that nonprofit for almost 10 years. Um, and I'd say for the last five or six, about 90% of my job was working on pretty large scale partnerships with Nike and Jordan brand. So we would go activate with them, you know, across the country. So, you know, a lot here in Chicago where I live, but we would do uh, events and activations with them in, you know, New York City and, um, you know, out at their headquarters in uh, Oregon and LA all over the place. So yeah, we really just became an activation agency for Nike and Jordan brand, you know, in the latter part of my, uh, my decade there. That's incredible. So did you become a sneakerhead or are you sort of a Nike aficionado <laughs> or what? Uh, unintentionally, right? Like people, people always like see all the shoes I wear and they're like, oh, wow, like you have expensive taste. And I'm like, I haven't bought a single pair of them, right? <laughs> like there'd be times, you know, it's like, you know, which was very cool. And I, I like still have, you know, good, good connections I keep in touch with, you know, at Nike and Jordan brand, but it was so cool because, you know, I'd show up in, you know, New York city, I go, go in my hotel room and, you know, there's just clothes like waiting for me, you know, multiple pairs of shoes and they have my sizes. And yeah. So people always just assume like, Oh, you're, you're big into, into fashion, you know, cause I'd get all these, you know, you know, Nike clothes that they didn't always release and all these cool shoes. And I'm like, no, like, you know, they just take care of us because we're out there, you know, kind of representing their brand in different places. But yeah, decent, decent uh, sneaker collection. Uh, but hey, that's fine. My name's Jordan. So I love having more Jordans than I can count. Exactly. Oh, my God. That's that's so awesome. That's so awesome. All right. So now let's bring us up to date. You are a leader in educating folks about AI. And, you know, I love your show. Um I've been on the show, but really, I love learning from the show. More importantly, uh, and it's it's really uh, something you're so passionate about, and and I really respect that. So, talk to us about how, you know, how did that start, and you know, take us through um, some some things you've learned just from doing a podcast and a newsletter, and then we'll get into, you know, everything related to AI because there's so much, and we have so much to get to. Yeah. I'd say it started probably in about, well, if I'm being honest, it started before I started my business, right? So um, I started my main company, Accelerant Agency, I believe in 2018. Um, so when I wrote my business plan in 2017, you know, right before I, I started my company, um, I wrote down that I was going to do this kind of quote unquote traditional, you know, digital strategy and marketing work for three to five years. And then I said my business plan that, I believed that something was going to come along that changed, you know, or uh, devalued the work of marketers, of advertisers. I didn't know what it was, but I said, hey, I'm going to invest, you know, hopefully save up some money in the company so then I can, you know, create something new whenever this happens, right? I had no clue what it was going to be at the time, but I'd say in about 2020, I started to realize what that was. And I started to realize it was Gen AI. You know, that's about the time that GPT-3 uh, became publicly available, right? So there was no chat GPT. Uh, it was all through other, uh, you know, commercial products. I think some of the first ones that we used in late 2020 when GPT first came out were like Copy AI, 
uh, Jarvis. I think there was one called Headline or Headline, right? So there's all these different tools. And as a writer, as a former journalist, you know, the first iterations of generative AI, as we call it today, were writing tools. Um, and I was shocked, right? I was shocked because uh, to see that in action as someone that's, you know, I can do the math, but I'm sure I've had somewhere between 500,000 and a million words or more published, probably even more than that. Um, but I was shocked at how good uh, this technology was and how fast it was and how accurate it could be and how you could interact with it to increase the outputs. So, you know, as a, as a dork, right? Like I've been a dork my whole life in high school. I became like a Microsoft certified professional. I was building computers. So I've always been a dork. So when I, it was kind of like a, a, a coming together of, of two different like passions or backgrounds of mine, right? Like this writing and kind of this technology. And I was enamored. Um, so it was during that time, I, I tried to start learning what generative AI is. And, 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 you know, these other technologies were starting to slowly pop up. Um, and I found it hard. Um, there wasn't a lot out there at the time uh, because I feel every other resource was either, you know, you had to take a, like a course from like a, an MIT or, you know, maybe like IBM had something, but at the time it was all extremely technical and there were great podcasts and there were some newsletters, but everything was for like, if I'm being honest, it's, it felt like you had to have a PhD in machine learning to understand any of it. So, so, so here I was for a good year and a half, you know, I'll say 21 to early 2022, where it's just like, I'm trying to learn everything. And it was so hard. It was so time consuming. And I spent so much time trying to take this complicated machine learning, deep learning, like, like speak and to understand it. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I finally said, and it was probably right when ChatGPT came out, there was so much terrible information. People were just wrong. Everyone, like, was just giving out terrible information. And, like, coming from me, you know, I've been getting paid now to write for 20 years. And I'd been using the GPT technology, you know, for about two years when ChatGPT came out. And I just, I'm like, wait, this is wrong. Like, everyone is doing this incorrectly. And, and people were just rushing to you know, sell things. And, and I'm like, no, like I truly felt that this technology um, is a generational type technology, right? Um, it's something that we don't see probably more than once in our lifetime. You know, I think, you know, the smartest people in the world say that, you know, you can't compare generative AI or AI to the internet or to computers. It's completely different, right? Um, I think the Google CEO said it's gonna be more impactful than fire and electricity. Um, and I would believe that. So that's that's kind of uh, the very long story of of how uh, we kind of got to uh, where where we are today with now doing this every single day um, and and just consuming uh, generative AI content like it's it's water because I drink a lot. Yeah, no, um, that makes so much sense. And and again, thank you for doing it. So let's talk about everything is changing so quickly. Uh, as I hear every day on your show, um, there's so many opportunities, but there's also challenges. So let's, you know, bring us up to date on the opportunities. How are you seeing things? Uh, and then we can get to the challenges related to generative AI. Yeah. Um, opportunities are time. I really press time. Um, because you can think of, AI, like generative AI implementation, and people always think big. Um, it's not like that. You have to think first, where's the low hanging fruit? Where can you get back time, right? I think that's people are always trying to, you know, find ways to uh, push revenue or to reduce staffing costs. Um, I, I tell people win back time. You know, that's, that's one of the things I, I push very hard and I try to help so many people do. You know, I, I had a consulting call um, with a woman yesterday. Uh, you know, we had a 90 minute call. And at the end, she's like, this is this is wild. Like, I'm this is going to save me so much time. That is the most I think, you know, when when you're looking at uh, generative AI, it's hard. It's distracting. Um, and you think like, oh, I'm going to double my business or, oh, we're going to grow. We're going to do this. And yes, that's great. Those things take time. So you have to win back time now, 
right? If you really want to like benefit from this technology. Got it. Okay. So time. And I know I've heard different, you know, suggestions, just play with it. Number one is to get up to speed, right? Uh, some people have experts to say that at least 10 hours, you have to try it for at least 10 hours to, to get some, uh, some traction and, and know how it works. Well, how do you feel about that? I mean, there's people who haven't started yet trying it at all. They've heard all this buzz and there's some people who have played with it a little bit. There's some people on the other end of the spectrum, like you, thousands of hours. What, what's your sort of guidance for people to, you know, come up to speed or stay up to speed? Um, you have to make decisions um, about how you've always gone about your daily life and preparing yourself for the future. Um, so I, I tell a lot of people, like people are like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, how I can make this work for me. And I say, well, start with your personal life, right? Because depending on, uh, depending on how people, you know, like how their companies are structured, you know, they might not be able to use generative AI, right? Uh, I just did a free, you know, I do free prompting courses all the time. Um, and so many people even yesterday are like, man, I wish I could use this at my job, but they block it, right? I can't do this. So I say, okay, use it in your personal life then, because there's going to be a point at some point soon, your company will have no choice but to allow it, right? For those companies that I still think, if I'm being honest, there's always exceptions to the rule, but I think some companies are just being stubborn uh, because they don't understand it, but they're blocking it. So if if that is you, if you don't have the ability right now to use generative AI in your work, use it for your personal life, right? Uh, all, all of the big companies, all of the big products have pretty decent free offerings, right? You can download a free chat GPT app. You can now download a free, um, you know, Gemini app. If you, you know, Google's new model, if you have an Android, there's a dedicated Gemini app. If you have an iPhone, you know, the Google app now has Gemini capabilities. Copilot from Microsoft, right? Put those on your home screen on your phone. Start using them, right? Instead of doing Google search, you know, use the Google app and use Gemini, make Gemini the default. Or start using chat GPT as your search, right? So I think when people start to uh, see personal productivity gains or personal gains just in, in other aspects of their non-work life, then they start to rewire their brain differently, uh, right? Because how we live our personal life, I think greatly impacts how we go about our professional life because that's how we're wired, right? So if you start to uh, not just think of generative AI as something you have to do to keep up, um, in your business, in your company, in your career, and instead start putting it to work for you in your personal life, I think your outlook changes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and right now there's parity amongst those different ones, or, or how are we seeing sort of, you know, for most people it's parity, right? Yeah, there's parity on paper, I guess, right? Um, yeah, different. Yeah, depending on you know what you ultimately need uh, to do, uh, you need to accomplish with generative AI. In theory, there's a lot of different options, you, you know, that you can go to to accomplish different things. Um, I obviously have uh, very hot takes on you know whether some tools are even worth using or not. But yeah, there's there's definitely a wide variety. Um, of, of different avenues that you can go in the generative AI. It's not like, oh, you know, there's only one thing that works for everything. It's not like that. It, yeah, it depends on how you work. Um, it depends on uh, what type of work you do or what you want to do, uh, you know, personally by using Gen AI. But yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of uh, options. Got it. So let's talk about that. Two other areas, creativity, right? Um, I know I use it to jumpstart, you know, uh, things in my head and on paper. That's one. And then let's talk about video creation or image creation. There's so much going on. So bring us up to date on that. How do you view creativity and, and generative AI? People aren't going to like me for this. Um, AI is more creative than humans. AI is more creative than at least the one single most creative human uh, because creativity is derivative, right? There's there, There's nothing right now that you and I can say or do in terms of being creative that has not already in some shape or form already existed, right? Like it is literally not possible. So my, my, my thought is 
creativity is derivative, right? You're always drawing inspiration. Even if you're doing something that's completely new and fresh, you are still drawing, um, you know, inspiration from other people who have done something before. So therefore, my thought is creativity is fact-based, right? So if you can, even if you're just saying like, oh, using a large language model, yeah, you can't just go in and say, give me the 10 most creative ideas ever. Like, yeah, that's not going to work, right? But if you know how to properly use a large language model, if you know how to properly train it, if you know how to properly share information, if you keep memory in mind, and if you teach a certain chat, um, you know, what it means in your lens to be creative, absolutely. Uh, like generative AI is way more creative than any single human being. And I've like talked a little bit about my background. I've created creative, right? Or I've, uh, you know, produced creative for, for Nike, for Jordan brand, for, for so many big brands. So I'm not coming at this from a point like, oh, I'm a novice. I'm a journalist. No, I was a multimedia journalist. I've created photos, videos, you know, things that, you know, those organizations had never, you know, done before from a creativity standpoint. Um, so I also want to give that background there, but, um, yeah, I mean, even when we start looking at the, the, the AI image, uh, generators, you know, now I've, I've been saying this for a while, the AI video generators are, are going to be huge. Um, I think the, the thing to look at, um, aside from saying like, oh, you know, having the argument is AI actually creative, right? But it brings creativity to everyone, right? Um, which before creativity, I think was such a uh, unique skill. Um, it's kind of sad, you know, being someone that used to spend a lot of time, you know, designing websites or, you know, taking photos, right? But now anyone, anyone, if, if, if you have a control of language, uh, you can put in a simple prompt or see other people's prompts and go in and, you know, tweak them on your own and put them in a program like, you know, Midjourney or put them in a program like Runway. And all of a sudden, someone that had zero creativity or a very low level of creativity, now all of a sudden, you can look at them and say, this is amazing, right? I, I think you've already seen some of the most, you know, people on social media that have really taken off in this kind of AI creativity space have said themselves, before this, I was not a creative, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people similar like myself, people who have maybe writing backgrounds, uh, you know, and maybe they were creative in their writing, but that was kind of the uh, the end of, you know, where, where their creativity uh, lied. So yeah, now it just opens up so many new avenues, so many new streams, so many new verticals for how someone with maybe lower levels of creativity can all of a sudden excel um, in terms of what they are able to creatively produce with generative AI. Right. So you talk about prompting, right? Make us um, or give us an update on what that is, number one, for folks who may not know what prompting is and how it's progressed since sure. the beginning. Sure. So I'll, I'll do my best to illustrate this. You know, um, So if you think of three boxes stacked on top of each other, right? And then think um, the one on the top and the one on the bottom are see-through, all right? So if we go top to bottom, we have see-through box, and then we have black box in the middle, and then we have see-through box on the bottom, all right? So this is essentially how generative AI and prompting works, all right? In the top box, that is where your prompts go. That is your input, right? So a prompt can technically be, yes, text. It can be you know long text, short text, et cetera. But a prompt, in theory, can also be an image. It can be your voice. It can be a video, right? So as we talk about multimodality uh, in generative AI. So, you know, a prompt is essentially anything that you can input. So text, video, speech, photo, et cetera, into that black box, which is generative AI, right? And that's what, uh, you know, when you talk about explainability uh, within generative AI, no one truly, I mean, not no one, but very few people understand what goes on in that middle box, that black box, right? But then it spits out outputs, right? So uh, those outputs are usually 10, 100, 1,000 times greater than the inputs that were put into that magical black box. So that's the way that I like to explain what a prompt is because people try to get very caught up in, uh, I like to keep it simple. You know, a, a prompt is just any form of, you know, text or photo or image or voice that you put into a generative AI system. And then that generative AI system works its magic through deep learning and machine learning and spits out something 
probably much more impactful, much more creative, much more beautiful than maybe that simple prompt that was put into the box. Got it. Okay. So some have said that prompting is going to change going forward. Uh, you, we might not have to be as thoughtful or as creative as we have in the past. How do you view that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's the answer is always changing, right? Because um, what we don't know today is how all of these large, you know, trillion dollar uh, companies who create these generative AI systems, how they're going to change how they work, right? Um, so I'd say the easiest way to look at this is mid-journey. So, you know, I think it's one of the most popular uh, generative AI systems out there. I think from a quality standpoint, it is by far the best AI image generator out there, right? So if you look at, you know, mid-journey as an example, V3 or V4, right? We're on V6 now. Um, you know, when you're talking V4, your prompts eh, were very important, right? You had to almost be able to speak mid-journey, right? It was almost its own language, uh, because if you didn't kind of speak the prompt language exactly how you needed to, your output would not be that good, right? But now when we look at V6, uh, you, you know, uh, the prompt handling has changed drastically. So you don't necessarily have to uh, speak it as well, at least if we say, like, I always say, like, pass, fail, right? Are you above the bar or not, right? So in order, in earlier versions of MidJourney and other generative AI systems, you kind of had to like have some stronger prompting skills to at least get over that uh, that pass grade, right? Now, not so much, right? Uh, obviously, you can get over that that bar much easier without having to be able to speak mid-journey speak. But obviously, if you're able to speak it, you can go much higher and above the bar. But to be able to get something that is, I will say, uh, above average, is much, much simpler now in most generative AI systems because these companies are uh, making that kind of like natural language processing uh, a little more flexible and a little easier uh, that we can put, you know, a little bit more jumbled information into that black box and it'll still understand it a little better. Got it. Okay. So you spoke about mid-journey. Tell us all about all this video creation, image creation work where are we now, right? It's just getting so much better. Uh, what are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm excited for two days. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, who knows when when people are going to be hearing this, but the, it, anyways, the Super Bowl is in two days, right? I'm excited because there's already rumors that at least one or two companies are using AI video in their commercial, right? Um, which is a pretty big deal, like for the industry in general. Um, so, so, so where do I feel with AI video in general? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's moving, it's moving fast. Um, and the way to look at this is to see who's throwing both money and their name in the ring, right? Uh, because this, at this time a year ago, all the big tech companies had money, right? They had money in it. You know, Runway was probably one of the, the, the biggest players and they have been, I think the kind of in the same way that mid journey is kind of the leader for the AI image space. Uh, Runway, I think, has been the leader uh, overall for the uh, kind of AI video space. And, you know, they had a lot of investments from all these large companies. But now these large companies are also throwing their hat into the ring, which tells you something, right? So Meta, you know, Meta has their, you know, uh, Emu video um, that they've, you know, recently announced. Uh, same thing, Google. Google has their Lumiere uh, AI model, which they just announced. So, you know, you are starting to see now these large companies, and I'm sure at some point we will see something uh, from, you know, either OpenAI or Microsoft as well. Uh, but you are seeing the big companies getting into the AI video space because it is in the same way that I think most people had that, oh, wow, moment when they got a text-to-text -text output from ChatGPT. Um, anyone who works in the creative space um, and who can now use this, uh, this technology, that wow saves you way more time, right? Like I've spent a lot of time editing and creating video, uh, you, you know, in, in my previous roles, both in journalism and working, you know, at the nonprofit. Um, but the quality is, it's mind boggling, right? And just the time, right? So if I use as an example, chat GPT and, you know, can spit out a pretty good blog post, let's just say, well, okay, well maybe that blog post, you know, would have taken someone five to 10 hours, right? If you really know what you're doing, 
in uh, AI video programs, right? Especially if you increase the quality of the input by instead of going text to video, if you start photo to video, right? So if you go photo to video, now you're seeing these kind of like short stories, very cinematic, all AI generated. And if you look at the time savings on something like that, and again, these are technically very primitive uh, models when it comes to AI models. It's like, you're not looking at in theory, like a five to 10, say like five to 10 hour savings. You're looking at a 500 hour, 5,000 hour, right? Because the, the, the budget and the time required to put together like, oh, this looks like it's, you know, some new version of, of Star Wars, right? And, and the visuals are amazing. Like three years ago, you couldn't do that without a, a million dollar budget, right? Like that's why you even have, you know, the director of, of Marvel, I think it was, it says, yeah, we're going to be seeing pretty soon full length AI uh, generated movies that will be pretty high quality, right? Um, that's where it's it goes uh, with the AI video. That's why I get excited about it because it goes beyond just the time um, and the uh, the compounding impact of generative AI in that tiny black box, I think um, snowballs like bigger than our minds can comprehend. Got it. Okay. So um, so things are getting fast, better, faster all the time, right? Um, it's just amazing. It's just amazing uh, what we're seeing. Are there anyone, any companies that we haven't heard about that you're aware of, right? We hear about all the big names, as you just mentioned. Um, what are some companies that are in that space, image, video um, space that um, really are are fascinating to you? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um... I think, I think I've talked about most of them. Like, uh, you know, Pika Labs is is a good player um, in the AI video space. They're they're a little newer on the scene. They were just kind of a little, I wouldn't say late to the party because they were, you know, kind of like the third or fourth big company. Uh, but I do think that they're going to make uh, some splash uh, in the space. You know, even the, um, you have in the, in the photo space, you know, you have your, uh, I think Amazon has their model called Titan. Uh, oh, I'd, I'd be, oh gosh, I haven't even, you know, talked about Adobe, right? Like Adobe's huge in the space, right? Uh, Adobe Firefly, you know, they, they great, great things there. If I'm being honest, I don't use Adobe's products as much uh, as a lot of these others. Uh, maybe that's just my own, you know, personal. It's like, you know, I, I grew up using Adobe um, and they were a little, little later, uh, I think, to the gen AI party than everyone else. They have, I think, taken a little bit more responsible of an approach to it. So it, it is something that I think myself and companies should be doing. Um, so at least in the photo video space, I'd say, you know, we've kind of covered uh, covered a lot of them. Uh, one I am excited about uh, in the um, in just the creativity space or the, the media space, I think, is, is Suno. Uh, so Suno is a, is a smaller company um, and, and, and they're amazing. They're amazing. Um, you know, they're going to, it's, it's essentially text to song, right? And it's not just text to music or text to lyrics. It is literally text to song and it's actually really good. So yeah, there's, there's just going to be all of these new uh, kind of categories of, of uh, multimedia creativity popping up uh, that I think is really exciting. Uh, it's it's exciting for both big businesses and for small businesses uh, because there's there's so many different ways that you can leverage this technology. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, super exciting. Okay, so let's move on to challenges. Um, we just talked about a lot of the opportunities. What are you concerned about? Education. Um, yeah, education is huge. I, I I think there's it's like a like a gold rush, right? Everyone thinks that, oh, if I can just do this faster, we're going to get rich. Or, oh, if we can just, you know, use this new tool, you know, we're going to triple our revenue. Um, but there's no education, right? If, if, if it's a gold rush, it's like we're sending people out without mining equipment, without, without pickaxes, right? Like we're just sending them out there to figure it out for themselves, right? Uh, I think there is such a, a lack of education and training it's almost mind-boggling, right? Like, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call out like names, but you know, I, I, I talk to like we, we do this uh, free, um, you know, the free prompting course, you know, usually multiple times a week, and it's live, right? And I am shocked, like I am literally shocked at the individuals from big companies that come to the prompting course, and I'm like, 
like, why are, like, why are you here? Right. Like I'm talking, I haven't like checked off every single company, but, um, I will say any com any, any tech company that's, you know, doing a hundred billion dollars, at least, at least one of their employees has been to our training. And, and to, to me, that's baffling. And I have talked to a lot of leaders, you know, kind of like off the record. And they're like, yo, like our, like our company is not training us top to bottom. So I think so, like the focus right now, it is building and it is money and no one is worried or focused on education and training. Because I think most times people would say, ah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just kind of push training to the backseat because if we can just be the first with this, or if we can be the best with this new technology and capture market share, you know, the training and education of our employees won't be that much important if we're first, right? And there's so, like so much of this is, is driven by the stock market, right? Like everyone's, you know, there's so much, you know, if, if, if you look, there's all these studies on like investor calls, right? And how much now people are just saying the word AI and gen AI, and there's like direct correlation to what companies talk about, um, you know, and, and what they're actually working on and like what their stock is, is, is doing, right? Like there's a reason why Apple, you know, compared to other huge companies, you know, your, your Google, your Microsoft, your Amazon, et cetera, you know, Google's, or sorry, um, Apple's market cap has been, you know, it's obviously going up, but when you like look at all of the other big tech giants, it's not going up as much because they haven't like officially unveiled their first big AI, off big AI offering when everyone else has, right? So they're seeing this, you know, over six months, I think it's like 20% growth, whereas a lot of their competitors are at like 50, 60, 70% growth over the course of six months, which is unheard of because it is a gold rush. So I think companies big and small are only focused on growing and money and they're not focused on education and training. Got it. And what about the concerns about bias, uh, ethical concerns, uh, misinformation, deep fakes, uh, ransomware, things like that? Is that something that um, you can expand on? It's scary, right? It's scary. Um, I think news just news just came out uh, today uh, that like, as an example, Midjourney is considering uh, kind of banning, I don't know if it's permanent or temporary or how this will work, but, um, you know, uh, with political images, right? Which I think would be great, right? Because the last thing we need is very real looking fake images uh, of, as an example, you know, Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump. The last thing we need is millions of these images that look extremely real circulating on social media before a very important election. So uh, I, I think deep fakes uh, are, are going to be a huge issue. I've been saying that for a very long time. Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, the misinformation, the deep fakes, uh, ethical bias, it's, it's all problematic. It's all problematic. And I think that just goes to, you know, everyone, it's, Everyone, like, I think the big companies have this FOMO, right? They have the FOMO where they're more concerned about building faster, being the first. They're maybe not taking it slow enough. And not all big companies. I think some companies are maybe doing it a little more responsibly than others, but I can't blame them, right? Like, luckily, I'm not the CEO of a trillion dollar company because I can only imagine the stakeholder pressure, the internal pressure where it's like, oh, we can't spend six months going over biases on the like biases on these these models like we have to get it out because x company is coming out with theirs and if we don't put ours out now you know analysts are expecting that we need to make a big play in this space so it's like i can't understand the pressures but what does happen unfortunately is some of those uh, uh issues just become more commonplace and more prevalent you know the the deep fakes the misinformation the the bias uh the stereotypes those just make it out into the wild yeah, no, for sure. Now, what about the your forecasts, you know, for this year? What are you looking forward to? I know you just said you're a little concerned about the election. I think we all are. Uh, what about, what are you seeing? What's, what's coming up uh, this year that you're excited about or that can change everything or that can really um, impact uh, society and business? Yeah. Um... Maybe, maybe I'll start with some of the grim stuff and then maybe pump a little optimism. Um, but yeah, I think, unfortunately, we've already started to see it in the early part of 2024. AI is going to take away a lot of jobs, period. 
Um, it, it, it irks me that more people aren't having open conversations about this because it's the ethical thing to do. Um, you know, people always say, oh, well, yeah, AI will, you know, replace jobs, but it'll create just as, no, it won't. It's not going to create as many jobs. Will there be new industries? Yes. Will AI create jobs in five years that don't exist next year? Absolutely they will. Um, but I think job loss is going to be something uh, that is going to be very problematic, right? We've already seen, like I said, early in 2024, there's been tens of thousands of layoffs at big tech, but what's also happening at big tech, they're investing hundreds of millions or billions or tens of billions in some cases in both resources and money in artificial intelligence. So saying this for a, more than a year, look where the money's going and look what's happening at the big companies, right? So that's one thing, right? So I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, but what I am looking forward to when it comes to, to 2024 is generative AI um, being more and more accessible, right? So we, we, we kind of alluded to that, the, the concept of uh, prompt handling and it's improving in all of these systems. So, um, you know, I think what's going to happen and what we're going to see is I think there's a lot of promise and opportunity for small businesses. I think there's a lot of promise and, op uh, and opportunity for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, right? Um, because now it is, e it's becoming easier and easier and the learning curve is, is becoming uh, less steep and, 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 you know, easier to, to overcome. Uh, that a lot of small companies, I think, are going to be able to leverage generative AI, right? They have to be able to uh, get governance in place. They have to be able to, you know, make the investments to to train um, and educate their employees. But I think we're it, it's going to be a weird time where we're going to be seeing a lot of, of job loss, a lot of uncertainty. Yet at the same time, uh, I do think it's going to actually fuel uh, growth for small and medium-sized businesses, right? Who maybe aren't public companies or who maybe don't have, you know, such external pressure and, you know, maybe those obviously not building artificial intelligence, but those who are actually able to use it to grow their company, to grow their career. So yeah, I, I, I do see this uh, kind of dichotomy of, of, you know, a range of things happening in 2024. Uh, but I think, you know, as much, um, you know, I, I'm not even going to say pessimist, like being the, the pessimist in me, that's being a realist. There's going to be a lot of uh, AI job loss, right? Like OpenAI just reportedly is working on um, now, and we'll probably be hearing it officially, autonomous agents, right? Agents that can take over uh, your device, not like in a mean, like oh, the robots are taking over, but you give them access, right? To take over your device and then they perform actions for you, right? That's always been the long goal, but just reporting just came out on that. So, I mean, that's gonna cause a lot of job loss, but at the same time, that will eventually uh, I think really uh, give a boost to those companies that are uh, more agile and and don't have so much red tape in place that they can take advantage of generative AI swiftly yet responsibly. Got it. Now, what about for um, for normal folks? Right, uh, you mentioned before to start using it right in different ways. Some have said it's worth getting the subscription uh regardless of the provider uh to get the higher level access what's your what's your take on that in general yeah you have to you have to um you know if like i'll at least talk about like you know the big players i'll just talk about chat gpt that's the easiest one right um so i tell people the only similarity between um the free version of chat gpt and the paid version so i i, I use an analogy right so the similarity there is like how a rotary phone and the newest iPhone can both make a phone call. That is it, right? So if you're trying to get something out of a free version, or if maybe you're judging uh, maybe your company's future investment uh, in a generative AI technology on a rotary phone, on the rotary phone version, uh, when you have the iPhone right there, the iPhone that can you know run your life, automate your business, you can have any app in there. You can literally run a company and, and your whole life just on a phone, right? And you can do similarly the same thing when you have like the paid version of chat GPT. So yeah, uh, I'd say fortunately, unfortunately, but you know, I, I do know that there's a cost barrier, right? Not everyone can, you know, say, oh, I'm gonna use these 10 tools and you know, they're all between 10 and $30 a month. I get that not everyone can do that. I understand. But when you think about what is your time worth, right? What are you doing right now in your day-to-day? -day, and how much does that take you, 
And then all of a sudden, when you look at a $10 subscription a month to this or a $20 subscription to this or a $30, right? Like when I say win back your time, I always talk to people that, that we're advising, what's your time worth, right? Not just like on the books, what's your hourly rate or what's your hourly wage, but also is what is your time worth? What would you do with more time? You know, so if you start to look at it like that, I think all of a sudden, you know, those, those $20 a month, it's like, all right, well, that's one less cup of coffee, you know, a week. And, and all of a sudden, you know, look at the new capabilities you have with a smartphone that you didn't have with a rotary phone. Right. Oh my God. That's a great analogy. Now, what about, uh, there's a bunch of services that provide it. I know you've spoken about all of them, but you have open AI, you have Microsoft. Some have said that Microsoft or Google, everything's integrated in, in all your, all your applications that might be more efficient. What's your, what's your quick take on that? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this is very timely, right? With, we're just a couple hours, uh, you know, post-launch for, you know, uh, Google's new uh, Gemini Ultra, you know, kind of their, uh, it's called uh, Gemini Advanced. Um, so yeah, I think that's the that's the long-term goal. You know, I think it right now, at least on the Google side, you know, it's a little problematic. It doesn't always, it's not working right now with all workspace accounts. So, you know, even for me personally, I would love to get our team, right, on, you know, to be able to use, uh, you know, as an example, Google uh, Google's new Gemini across all the different products, but right now we can only access it on our personal accounts. So um, I think they're still trying to work out some of the kinks, but you know, even when you look at Microsoft, right? Like I've, I've been on Google and Apple products my whole life, literally. Um, well, not my whole life, sorry. Uh, it kind of stopped once I went to college. Cause yeah, I did used to build, you know, as a Microsoft certified professional way back in the day when I was, uh, I think 16. Um, you know, in high school through a, a career program. Um, but since then, I, I, I haven't used anything Microsoft. And I find myself more and more, it's like, all right, well, especially now, you know, we were kind of waiting at least for our team until Google, you know, it was Gemini. We were like, okay, is it going to finally work with our workspace, with our documents, with our Google Drive? And it's like, it still looks like it's not. So, you know, we might even make the jump and, you know, go to uh, all Microsoft products. So you can still, even if you're on a Mac, right? You can still use their desktop programs and then use their Copilot Pro that will, you know, it kind of shares that knowledge and can talk back and forth between the different, you know, uh, Microsoft programs on your desktop. So yeah, I think that's kind of what we're going to start to see in 2024 is, you know, people, you know, where you really had this used to go out of the way to use generative AI, you had to go log on to a specific generative AI website it's changing, right? Pretty soon, you know, once Google, uh, once we all get that access to, you know, all of our different apps, um, you know, we're already starting to see it in Microsoft on the desktop, right? If you're using their uh, Microsoft uh, 365 Copilot, it's living on your desktop. If you're using Microsoft uh, Copilot Pro, I'm sure Apple, once they release something, you know, they might release it just for iPhones first, but I'm sure, you know, at some point shortly thereafter, it's going to make its way to the desktop program. So, you know, before we really had to go out of our way to use generative AI. And I think 2024 is when that starts to change and generative AI is going to come to us. And you may not even really know that you're using it, right? But it's just going to integrate seamlessly into how you interact with your devices, right? Even with Edge AI, you know, the next Apple, uh, you, you know, update will, you know, allegedly have that baked in. The newest Samsung uh, phones already have uh, Gemini Nano. So it's already, you know, it's it's generative AI on the actual phone, on the hardware. Uh, so yeah, it's generative AI is coming for us, not in a bad way, but it's coming to us and we aren't going to have to seek it out. So that is going to be, I think, the new way that we uh, interact with all technology. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and this has been an amazing conversation, Jordan. Thank you so much. And we usually, uh, before we end, we we like to get, you know, just quick takes, right? Just one thing um, for folks. So, you know, let us know one tip uh, for people to learn and come up to speed on Gen AI. Yeah, so I'd say one tip to learn or come up to speed on generative AI is don't get shiny object syndrome. Uh, I think a lot of, of people's, a, a lot of people and companies are looking at, you know, these long pilot programs, you know, oh, a 12 month pilot or a two year pilot, or they're looking at building their own large language model. 
like stop that, right? That's for, for, for 90% of companies, that's not the way you should be going. Uh, my biggest takeaway is see what you can learn today and tomorrow to start winning back time next week, right? And you have to commit to that. You have to go through the paces. It's like building a muscle, right? Uh, you have to practice it every single day, but focus on those areas where you're spending so much repetitive time and uh, doing these mundane tasks. So a lot of knowledge work tasks, find those things that you're doing repeatedly in the area that you're doing it the most over and over, find the best generative AI solution. Don't find the tool first, go looking for a solution, look to see where you're spending that most manual time, find the best uh, generative AI tool to help you win that time back. Got it. I love that. Okay. One more, one tip for entrepreneurs to leverage AI to scale their business. Don't worry about scaling, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's the same concept, right? I know that sounds crazy, uh, but Hey, I, I know as an entrepreneur and I work with a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and I'm very, you know, even here in Chicago, I'm tapped into the kind of that startup scene. Everyone is trying to think of, of generative AI as this, as this huge thing. Like, don't think of it like, oh, how can we scale? Because I think when you think of like, oh, how can we use it to scale? You miss the most important and obvious things right in front of you because you're only looking at how to 10X, right? If you're only looking at AI on how to 10X, you might only have a 1% chance of doing it, but you are literally looking past the 90% likelihood that you can 2X, the 80% likelihood that you can 3X. So don't focus on scaling, focus on taking that next step and that will propel you because generative AI allows us to travel at faster speeds than ever before. But don't worry about getting a rocket ship to the moon, worry about getting from point A to point B much faster. That's great, great advice. All right, lastly, we usually conclude with a poem or a saying. What do you wanna share with us, Jordan? All right. Well, you know, I, I spent a lot of time putting together a podcast recently of uh, 200 facts and tips and pieces of advice. So I actually used my podcast transcript and a little AI to summarize that all together into a little poem. All right. And I don't hate it. I actually kind of like it. Ready? All right. So here we go. In the realm of AI, business finds its way. Guidelines, training, transparency pave the way. Generative tools whisper, promise, and might. Start small, learn quick, and take flight. I love it. And that was created through generative AI, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, my, my technically it started with my words, but yes, generative AI made that based on a transcript of what I talked about. I love it. I love it. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.